Hey guys, Hella Bass back with another episode podcast this week. And this week we are talking with former FLW college champion, national champion, former FLW pro, and current Bassmaster Elite Series pro, Austin Felix, Minnesota's own Austin Felix. And we cover a lot of different things, his recap, what's going on, and the the current season of his Bassmaster Elite, what he's looking forward to, uh, how we kind of made uh, the transition to the pros, and we get into some tips and techniques around uh, Kitex and, and, and other things like that. Uh, so there's a lot of good information here. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you stick around to the end. Uh, if you're interested in a giveaway uh, from Sightline Outdoors for a t-shirt and a hat, go to the YouTube video, see the pinned comment for instructions, uh, and enjoy the episode. Hope you guys are out and catching some bass. Live. What's that? You see the, the chat. Uh, who should I look at? Private chat or live comments? Should be comments. Move over to comments. You in here? She might just see my chat now. All right. A little slow to get things in there. Usually there was like 20, 30 people jumped in last week pretty quick. So, Yeah, well, you got Cade last week. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a little more career earnings than Cade, but. Uh... <laughs> I was chatting with Cade the other day. He talked out a couple of buddies of mine that were making a high school deal down there. Yeah. They're, they're from South Carolina. He kind of helped them out a little bit. They ended up winning that world championship deal. Nice. Pretty exciting. So. Yeah, I talked yeah. to a few, few kids. Seemed like it was good, not great down there. But, yeah, I mean, 300 boats on the river. I guess 300 boats anywhere is a lot. But, uh, a lot of frogging. <laughs> yeah. 300. It looked like two pounders were hard to come by. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, six pounds was kind of like par, and then, like, it was hard to get a three, four-pound bite down there, it seemed like, so. Great. Well, yeah, thanks for joining, Austin. We'll get going here. There's a few people trickling in here. I guess for those that don't know, Austin, I got your background. Um, so you're the first college national champion on my stream. You're the first uh, Forest Wood Cup participant on my stream. Uh, first Elite Series Pro on my, scre- uh, my stream. So you got all those buckets checked uh, right off the bat. Uh, put it on my resume. Put that in your resume. You can also, yeah, like for sure. Like this is this is a big deal. Um, uh, and I got, the other thing I was thinking about is like we've, we haven't fished against each other a ton, but maybe a handful of times in a few team tournaments and maybe a, a Champions Tour or something like that. Yeah. Like that one season, Josh and I fished the NABC, and then you and Will did, and, and you guys won AOI that year, I think. And Josh and I pretty much just sucked it up. Like we did not, we did not gel as a team. Like it wasn't one plus one did not equal three. It, it equaled like negative two. Uh, <laughs> we did not like it wasn't it wasn't a match made in heaven for sure. Um, right. I mean, like I don't think I've ever beat you in a tournament that we fished against each other. Honestly, I I have no idea. I don't know how many. I mean, there's only been a couple, but like I know I beat Seth a few times, and I beat Josh a bunch of times, and I know I beat Chris Grow and BFLs, but like 
I mean, it's all, I mean, anybody can any tournament, but you, you definitely had my number the few times uh, in tournaments, but. Yeah, we just seem to fish different stuff, though. Like, I know you spend a lot of time down the river and BFLs yeah. and stuff like that, and I just kind of, I've always avoided it. I've never fished a BFL, to be honest with you, and I've always wanted to, but it's always been, well, you're going to have to, like, devote so much time because it's river, 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 some yeah. random and then river again and it's like they draw a big crowd so i understand why they go down there every time but i've always been one of those kind of god i wish they would go to a lake or something yeah and the weekend series was kind of before you really got into tournaments right i mean that was kind of before your time as far as the tournament angler when the, you know we used to have a weekend series that would go to like whitefish and mahamadu and like minnetonka and okegama so we had that yes What's that? Yeah, the BSS one before it went to ABA for, I don't know, three, four, or five years. We had that here in Minnesota, Wisconsin. It was pretty, pretty good. But I think, yeah, it was and a few other guys, Brad and a lot of those guys, Capras. But that was a pretty cool circuit that just didn't, never drew more than 50, 60 boats. And I just, you know, didn't, uh, didn't want to keep it going for that. Yeah, I've never done the, ABA thing. I've never really done the club thing, or I've never fished the state tournaments or that regional stuff you guys do. And I know it's a huge deal. It's just it was just like another avenue of which to go through things. And I never kind of made that turn. It was fish a bunch of team tournaments with my old man and with random people. A bunch of then I got into college fishing for a year or two before I graduated, and from there it was like. So open my eyes to the fact that just because I never really had traveled before, when I had false idea in my head that I had to have as much local knowledge to do well across the country as you do to do well here at home, whether you're at Tonka or Malax or anything else. And once you move out of state and get to those bigger tournaments, local knowledge. It's helpful, obviously. It gives like local guys an advantage, but it's it's not required at all to be successful as long as you understand what's going on and can kind of like put together a pattern. Yeah, I would agree that you're you can get a lot of the fundamentals down, but there are a few things that you definitely have to learn when you get down there, like because you probably hadn't fished very many shad, you know. Uh, there's a lot of lakes that lack vegetation, which we don't see a ton of up here. Um, so I think there's a few things you need to learn about reservoir fishing, you know, and, uh, once you get those kind of under your belt and I know like to me, when I travel down South, like horizontal baits play way more down South than they do up here, right? Like spinner baits and, and crank baits and, and just, yeah, just more times than not, right. The, those horizontal shad looking baits that those fish because of the forage in their lakes, I think they key and they react more to horizontal baits than they do here, uh, day in and day out. And mm-hmm. I think. It's just in general or easier to fish without that immense amount of vegetation and cover everywhere. But right. yeah, definitely there's regional specialties you have to become uh-huh. you have to become good with, whether it's fishing ledge tournaments in the river and that kind of stuff, same sort of thing we did with Ufala or fishing Florida with its own kind of deal. And like Ozark Lakes, whether it's 45 degree banks. 
gravel transitions, that kind of thing. Gotta learn all that stuff you can learn on YouTube on this kind of deal or just watching and then it's really just down to getting confident with it. Once you have confidence with something, you have a lot more. You get a lot more to catch stuff on it. So that's we got our first like really hard hitting question of the night. I don't know if you can see that or not. Which is the best house? Why is it Slytherin? Oh. <laughs> Slytherin's the worst. <laughs> so you, you wouldn't say, I mean, like that what's not where you that's not where the sorting hat would put you, or that's not where you'd want to be? No, I've already been sorted via the website. I'm a Gryffindor. Nice. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I know a little bit. My uh, my wife and my daughters are pretty into it, so I've seen all the movies, and I'm, I would definitely wouldn't say that I'm on your or Jody's level, but I, I can speak like kind of like you were saying. You have to get proficient at ledge fishing and and different things, different part of the country. Like I I had to know just enough to like be able to speak with my children and my wife about it. So, right. Oh yeah, you just gotta get the audio books and get hooked. I actually read a couple of them because my wife got a trivia game once and I read the first two books just so I could beat her in the board game. So <laughs> that's commitment. <laughs> we all got that little bit of competitive spirit. Um, <laughs> you're talking about down South. Like, so you've had two, two. Uh, so I guess maybe back up half a step. Like you had a choice for sure. Coming into this season, uh, you could have went FLW uh, pro circuit. Is that what we're calling it now? or the elite series, was there really any debate? Like what did it come down to or what were the big like things for you uh, going elite versus sticking with FLW? I mean, there wasn't a big debate. I had, I was severely leaning towards the elites from the moment that I got the, the bid just because it's so hard to get there. It's always been there, but there was part of me when it was all going down, there was so much up in the air, which, how are they going to do entry fees? How are they going to pay things? How many anglers were they going to have on the pro circuit? And there were rumors everywhere from having like a 30 or 40 boat circuit and paying everybody to like, it was, there were so many off the wall rumors that like, I didn't, I didn't like give my money early or anything. I wanted to see how it all, turned out and then when it ended up they're paying like the increased entry fees and they, uh, they didn't increase the numbers or anything like that and it just it didn't make any sense for me to stay at that point. Right. Unless you really felt like your end goal was BPT and that you wanted to stick it out for two seasons in hopes that you would be in the top five or ten in points or whatever it ended up being. Like it must Unless that was like your number one pinnacle goal to fish the BPT. I agree that really like financially exposure, like it really didn't, it kind of seemed like a no brainer, especially the way that they've redone the elite series. And there's that, you know, <clears throat> the way they've kind of redone their payout structure, the, the risk is definitely not what it used to be to go on an elite series. So. Oh, absolutely. And there, even the BPT was, everything was always changing so much. Yeah putting my eggs in that basket with everything still changing. Like I didn't know if what we were looking at this year is even going to be the same sort of circuit by the time I would have the 
opportunity to qualify. And you know, it, 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 I talked to a bunch of sponsors and seen like people about you can do all towards the elite. Yeah, and that's where you wanted to go, honestly, right? Like that. I mean, if you just yeah. money and, and tied, right? Like elite series is still. I don't know. I think more. I mean. The field in DPT is probably arguably stronger right now, but I still think the trail itself, fast still holds in pretty high regard. So I think, and you're oh, seeing it, they're making it for themselves. The star power for BPT is unmatched. Like, that's just the way it is. You've got guys who've been household names for 30 years. But it's one thing that brand still, still holds a lot of weight for a lot of diehard anglers, though, too. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, so. And, and a classic is still a classic. Like, <laughs> I don't think the uh, the Red Crest next spring is going to draw the crowds that the classic's going to. So, no, I went to the I went and worked the Red Crest for Phoenix last year, and there was hardly anybody there. I mean, there were anglers. If you would have gone there, it would have been awesome for spectators because honestly, the number of anglers, BPT sure. anglers walking around as a ratio to the number of spectators was maybe like three to one. You could have right. had as much time with anybody you want to talk to as you did. They were all sitting around bullshitting and having a good time or whatever. The guys at the top 10 or whatever that didn't make the final day. But at the same time, it was. It's it's not the classic. It wasn't even as big as the Forestwood Cup. They had a little outdoor deal, but it was yeah. Relatively I talked to a few guys, and they said there's some. It looked like you'd see more people show up for a BFL way, and then you saw show up for that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the Elite Series. Listen, it's been weird for you. Obviously, you got started on the St. John's, which you probably don't really want to talk a ton about. But uh, I mean that. St. John's, I mean, you're, I mean, Florida can be tough, can be tough, and then you just had, you know, weird, you know, kind of record conditions as far as the wind and the pushback of the tide and all that stuff. So, did you? Were, tell, I mean, your Instagram story suggested you weren't really on much in practice, and you didn't really, really feeling great coming into that tournament. I but wasn't on a bunch, but going into it, I had found a couple areas that had enough spawners that I thought I could get fifteen a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there with a check. Um, they would have been strong down there that time. That was before all the weather went through. And I honestly, I've told people this before. It's the only tournament when I left, I didn't learn a thing. Like everything switched and screwed up so badly that I, it just, I, might, I was pre practicing for, I was just practicing for the whole tournament. Right. Eventually, Going into it, I spent all my time around Lake George and stuff with the expectation that that's where it usually goes down. And if I want to do really well, that's where I'm going to have to be. Yeah. But really shallow water because there's very little grass left. Right. And the yep. little grass that is left that has enough water on it that you could like fish it is even scarcer. But I found a little bit, got some bites out of some stretches and stuff like that. But then we had those three days, a few days of. 40 mile an hour wind and the combination of that south wind and the tides pulling everything north out of the river. Yes. Eight inches of water out of the entire system that never came back. 
and none of us got to see the lake after that got sucked out. That got sucked out on our, on our cancellation day. We ran in there, and I ran into one of these backwater springs that I was going to keep in spawners. I watched Corey Johnston try to run in there, and he moved off to one side, and he beat his boat dry on a sandbar. We were able to idle over, and he was sitting there just pushing mud and picking up sand everywhere. And I barely made it. Like, I had to put down my trolling motor and, like, slide over the sandbar just to get in there. It was – once you got in there, though, it was two days later because we had two off days. So instead of it being a Thursday, we had to catch some spawners. It was a Saturday. There was another tournament going out of the – just below George. Saturday, all those guys got out there first. Those slid into those springs, and there were people in most of them. And at that point, it was kind of like, "Oh crap, I'm just gonna have to wing it." So it wasn't that the fish left; is that you literally just got beat to them by the other tournament by the time it was well, Saturday. My main thing—that's kind of what happened. There were guys all over it, and then I had a bunch of like not a bunch, but a few stretches of like grass on George. But it was maybe 16, 18 inches of water I was catching in, in practice. So I couldn't even physically get my boat to within a casting distance of the same grass I was trying to fish. Huh. It was just like it. Yeah. So the only thing you learned is that if you ever go there and the exact same thing happens again, <laughs> you know you can just scrap everything. <laughs> yeah. Like in hindsight, what I should have done is just broke out a wacky Senko and fished canals all day and to catch five and hopefully caught a five pounder, six pounder to make my day. Uh, I don't know. It was weird. I was, and then we have four months off after that. So everybody was asking me how I like the elites and everything. So I have this one super weird event right. and then four or five months off. I'm like, honestly, I don't even really feel like the season started yet. Yeah. So then you went rolling to Ufala. You have I mean, you fit, you, you take like a couple months off cause you're back at home and then you get to fish a little bit right around the house before back down. And, uh, did you, I mean, you had a good tournament, like the top 20, right? Right around 20th or something like 21st. that. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you could, if you could take that every tournament, you'd have a really great season. Um, how did it, like, what did you go in with your game plan versus what actually happened? And did, did your kind of preconceived plan go to plan, or did you have to adjust much? No, that way everything went according to plan. Uh, I went in pre-practice Ufala in, like, February before it went off limits because we were supposed uh-huh. to go there in March or whatever, and they were all going to be on bed. I had never been there before, so honestly all I did was run around the lake and, like, run all the way to the back, all the pockets, and kind of, like, uh-huh. look at what everything did. Didn't spend a single second idling for brush piles or anything like that because my assumption was, okay, I know you can sight fish them and you can bed fish them down on the lower end of the lake. So that was like my game plan. I'm like, I'm just going to put my eggs in that basket and do it. Well, then everything got canceled and moved back. And when they reschedule everything, I'd have had about a week to go back down there and pre-practice, but I was just... I didn't really want to do it. I didn't want to drive 17 hours to go idle around for a couple of days. So unlike Buddy Gross and a lot of guys who happened to get down there and were able to mark a couple hundred brush piles before they got there, 
I didn't have that. Uh, so my game plan was honestly just to fish it like a normal ledge fishing tournament. I've had quite a bit of success on the Tennessee River or Kentucky Lake and Chickamauga and stuff, just summertime ledge fishing. So, and I knew it's not a Tennessee River impoundment, but it works roughly the same way. So, yeah, I've heard that. Like, doesn't fish all that different than Kentucky, from what I've heard. Yeah, there's just a lot more standing wood, so you gotta gotta avoid that stuff. But yeah, so I idled for three days, 12, 14 hours a day, just looking for schools. And when the tournament was, when the tournament started, I think I had nine or ten found. And I just ran through those every day, wherever I could get on, and uh, pretty much caught everything on a AXD and a football jig. I'll train football jig. And you were mainly fishing like what wedges, shell beds. Like you weren't really doing the brush thing, right? You were doing well, more. There is straight, yeah, ledges, shell bars, like current breaks, where there's like a big school of fish, like you'd see on, like on Kentucky Lake. Like I avoided that brush pile stuff. I tried to do it a little bit, but I, I don't have that much experience with it. And it seemed like I could catch little ones out of brush, but I, I don't, I, I honestly don't have the confidence to do it. And I had a lot more confidence with a crankbait in my hand that I could get 15, 16 pounds a day going into it. And I thought 14, 15 a day was going to get you a check. Now they ended up absolutely smashing them, at least that first day. But, yeah, there's a lot of guys that definitely like you could tell that they thought 15 pounds was going to be pretty good and then come to the way in like, you weren't alone by any respect like i feel like that was a common theme of like i mean they knew there was going to be some big bags but i don't think they thought the quality was going to be as deep at the end for those first couple of days for sure yeah i caught 17 and a half the first day i'm like all right like i didn't think i'd be like top 10 but i thought i'd be like maybe 20th round there. And I was in like 33rd or something. I was like less than a pound away from like the cash line. I'm like, good yeah. Lord. In the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so did you have to do any Like, was it just, you kind of just rotated those same schools the whole tournament or did you make any adjustments to throughout the tournament? I mean, I rotated schools. I idled a little bit during the tournaments and, Every day it worked a little bit different. I found out in practice that the schools, they weren't pulling water till maybe 11, 12 o'clock every day. When they weren't pulling water, most of the schools would completely leave. They, it wasn't like they were there and just not feeding. They were gone. And I figured it out in practice because I idled a couple areas that looked really good, like the third morning. And I idled them again later in the afternoon and the morning it were ghost towns. By afternoon, there was like legitimate, like like there's 80 bass sitting right there. And it was like, oh, now I better recheck some stuff. So I went and ran a check, rechecked a bunch of stuff that looked right that I didn't think I had looked and found a bunch more schools. But it also nice. gave me the confidence not to worry if I was not going off to a slow start. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seemed like the people that were fishing offshore, they'd be like, a morning window, like for the first mm-hmm. half an hour, maybe an hour, and then <clears> significant lull until after lunch. And then, you know, so um, that yeah. may be 
like if you could have had a few brush piles or had a kind of a, you know, you could have maybe mixed it up for that little bit of time, but you still had a really great tournament. So you really can't complain about that. Um, so here's kind of a good question along that lines. Like, uh, and this maybe kind of back to you fallout. Like, how do you prepare? He's John Odell wants to know, how do you prepare for lakes that you've never fished before? Especially when you've got maybe not a chance to pre-practice. Is there, what do you, is there anything you do from a, homework standpoint or research uh getting on your navionics like at home like what what kind of stuff do you do yeah i mean like cayuga for an example i've never been there i'm pretty excited to get there here in a couple weeks hopefully fingers crossed but you can learn a lot if there's been big tournaments there before you can learn a lot from live you can learn a lot from tv show youtube stuff all the guys have their individual youtube things now they give you an idea of what the lake looks like, what predominant patterns are there. Um, I've looked at satellite images just to give an idea of like where the bigger grass beds are and that kind of stuff. Cayuga is pretty straightforward because with the exception of the north end and the south end, it drops off real fast. So you're going to be the bottom. It's big, but like the areas that you have to break down are pretty limited, to be honest. So, and I've heard it fishes a lot like Minnetonka, and I know for a fact that people have won there flipping milfoil and stuff. And it's one thing I love to do. So, it's probably what I'm going to spend the majority of my time doing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, but, I know you fish Tonka a lot, and I know your your old man is definitely a flipper, from what I've heard. <laughs> Uh, like, do you do you prefer to catch him? I mean, like you, but you're definitely. I mean, the one thing I know, what you're definitely not afraid of a spinning rod. Like, uh, like, I mean, would you rather, like, let's say, like, would you? I mean, let's say things are even. Would you prefer like flipping foil for largies or catching smallmouth on spinning rods, like on Cayuga? Um, I mean, whichever. I feel like I have a bigger advantage doing on Cayuga. I think. Sure. Large mouth are going to win every time, so you have to like go that route. Um, but like on Champlain, Champlain could go either way. Um, I feel like I have more of an advantage when the field has to pick up a spinning pole or fish for sure. smallmouth than largemouth fishing. I mean, there's half the field are good at flipping like you just look down the elite series field and like okay all these guys can flip a jig or flip a Texas rig pretty damn good yeah I mean and like flipping is not like the hard part about flipping to me is not flipping it's being able to break down the grass right Mm -hmm. be able to I like visually and you know maybe use your grass a little bit but like see and break down the sweet spots in the grass is the trickier part than actually catching the fish flipping right like the actual feat of flipping is not the most complicated technique in the world. It's more about, you know, finding them and breaking down the grass. Do you agree? I mean. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is to break down the grass, it's not something you can do on your computer. Like you just have to put the time in and keep on your trolling motor and keep going. And a lot of people, same thing on follow. I was staying with three guys that were all from, Louisiana, and every day I'm like, oh yeah, I found three schools, four schools, but I idled for 12 hours, and they're all just shaking their heads they're up there throwing a frog. Like, I don't know how you do it. Well, the same thing. Like, they don't know how you do it, how you sit there and just go on four on your trolling motor, just flipping every five feet down the weed line. 
until you figure out where those two or three little sweet spots are. Idea works the same flipping as it does ledge fishing. It's just you're actually fishing for them instead of like just idling around looking for them. Yeah, absolutely. And to that degree, it can be a little tougher. I mean, depending on the person, right? Like for you growing up and in, in fishing Minnetonka a ton, right? Like that just feels natural, right? Like that's, uh, and you're obviously very good with your Lawrence's as well. And that's something you've probably more learned more recently to be comfortable with. Like, I know you put in a lot of electronic works uh, when you won your national championship uh, down in the Carolinas, but like you, before you even were good at graphing, I'm sure you were much more, I mean, flipping grass was, you know, second nature, right? I mean, yeah, but it was just, yeah, it's something you got to get confidence in. You got to get used to Like In Minnesota, you don't idle around and all of a sudden you'll see 80 bass sitting off the end of a point. Like it, it, they don't look like that. They're always, if there are 80 bass in there, they're usually hidden by something, whether it's grass or rocks or something, and you maybe see a few. So it was just, it's different. But once you have a little bit of success doing it, and I I kind of got that in college when we had a college event on Kentucky Lake back when it's heyday, and there were giants everywhere. You idle around and even an idiot. First time doing it was like, holy cow, there's a bunch of them. You pick up a 6XD and all of a sudden you're like catching them every cast thinking it's the easiest thing on the planet. It's, it's something, yeah. Just got to get confidence with it like anything else. Yeah, that's one thing. Like I remember, like even five years ago, like I thought I just did not get the flipping thing. And it's only recently that I've really gotten like comfortable with doing that. And like now that I've had success, you know, you have a few days where you flip and flip and flip and you're like, well, this is dumb. I'm just not going to go, how do they do this? Right. And then once you get a little success and you run into those pods, it just changes everything. And then when you have that success and confidence doing it, it's a completely different ball game when it comes to like finding grass. Fish. I think I figured out why the numbers are so low. Like help, YouTube did not send out any notifications. I looked on all of my accounts and I didn't get like, went live like so i guess it'll hopefully the numbers will go up on the replay that's like why the crowd is small like youtube just did not notify when we went live so but, oh, well. oh well well sycamore said what's up hell of ass awesome guests what's up sycamore thanks for joining but uh yeah this has been good stuff so we got you got was it it's cayuga champlain and thousand islands and then champlain so, and then I got Oneida Open right after yeah, that. The open as well, because you did fish the first Eastern Open on was it the Harris or Kissimmee or which one? It was on Kissimmee. It wasn't great. It was like right in the middle kind of thing. If I remember What's right? That? It was kind of a middle of the pack finish in your first Eastern Open. That wasn't great. Wasn't. Oh yeah, I, I showed up seven minutes late the first day, so that's why uh, I bombed. Otherwise, that was funny. But that's given seven pounds up to those guys is not an easy thing to make up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was fishing it just to hang out with a bunch of my FLW buddies. And I'm not going to sure. see that often. And so I was all them and maybe try to jackpot it. And then after the first day, I was like, well, I screwed that one up. I made the mistake of resetting my, my clock on my graph. So that we're at the central. So like the morning of, I'm floating around like, oh, I'm gonna, I might as well just switch these over. And for some reason, in the Lawrence's, they go in like 15 minute increments. 
So I only pushed it forward 15 minutes instead of the full hour. And I don't know how I did it, but so I was 15 minutes slow. But yeah, it is, it is. I cracked like 19 pounds the second day and it didn't do anything. But. Nice. Yeah. So you're fishing the rest of the, you're fishing all the rest of the Easterns then? No, I backed out of uh, Cherokee when they rescheduled it to like October or something just because we got enough late stuff going on yeah. that I didn't want to deal with it. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Unless you win Oneida. Right. <laughs> they even have Oneida. I mean, they're having enough trouble to get the Elite Series event. And they're going to have three in a row. You think they have a, a little bit of leverage having three back-to-back-to-back. So if they allow us in for one, then we'll essentially yeah, be for the last two. Or we'll, we'll, be, we'll be in in time. And then – but having 225 guys show up to Oneida randomly is probably going to be a little stickier. Aha. So I am the idiot. I never said it to public. So we'll see an uptick in viewership soon. There you go. Thanks, Eric Gaffron, for pointing that out. I guess I just uh, misclicked that when I was setting everything up. <laughs> I thought I was being protested. Yeah, the anti. Uh... So Mitchell Roos says, what's your favorite lake or region in your home state or near besides Minnetonka or Mille Lacs? Uh, just to like go fun and fish tournaments. The third lake I like going to the most probably Vermilion. It's just a you catch so many bass up there. It's just a really good time. I mean, it's kind of a haul, but yeah, yeah. Actually, I fished, I, I agree. Vermilion is a really cool place uh, for several reasons. One, it's one of the most beautiful fisheries we go to in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Wise, um, you can get away like it, it has the qualities of the Mississippi River to me, where like you can get off the beaten path and feel like you are out in the middle of nowhere on that lake. Like, mm-hmm. and then like recreational boating is pretty confined to a few small areas, so like it's usually really friendly to fish. Uh, it's got great smallies, great largies. You're gonna probably catch a few walleyes. Like you're gonna, you know, uh, muskies. <laughs> you can fish muskies around docks if you want to. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, you can catch. And the, the cool thing is, like, you can do, you can fish smallies like largemouth and fish shallow, or you can go out and drop shot them on boulders and, and football jigs and anywhere in between. So, uh, from that standpoint, it is a, it's a really cool fishery. Um, yeah, I like that. I like going to Spurgeon Bay in the spring when I get the opportunity. That. It's just, it's such a unique fishery. It's its its own thing out there. Like, it's not like anywhere else in the country. But. That's not my I definitely got to get out there soon before it sucks. Um, but yeah, I'm actually fishing a, in a, on August. We're supposed to have the Bass Nation Northern Regional on Vermilion. So, mm-hmm. forward to that. I didn't do great last time we had it there, but uh, redemption tour this time. So, yeah, I had somebody call me about writing an article about that here the other day go ahead and just kind of maybe throw them off the trail oh yeah i told them you can do either or because you can i mean you can do whatever you want it could be one i don't know how many boats are in that deal like it should be right around a hundred boats give or take oh that's not too many and a three-day tournament you might be able to 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you could do all largemouth and win, but you could definitely do some largemouth fishing. I'll yeah, be surprised. Mixed bag definitely could play. Like you get a couple of good largemouth with some some smallies, and you can uh, do some damage. Um, so Cheney Middle says, "Do you go into each practice day with a game plan that you stick to, or do you more just say open to ideas and kind of adjust and go with the flow?" Um, I start every like tournament with a game plan, but you can't be set to anything. Like I'll have an idea of like depending on how big the lakes are and what I need to try to do, I'll try to break down the lake into sections. And, but as my practice continues after the first day, if I check one section and I do well up there or see what it's something that I like, I might choose to, instead of picking a new area, just expanding on that. If I think that there's more I need to expand on, likewise, I might throw stuff completely out. For example, like you fall, I had every intent on spending one morning up the up in the more of the river section up shallow, just to keep it honest. But after the first few days, I decided that would just be a waste of time, partially because of the number of anglers that were up there doing it, and partially because I was seeing what I wanted to see the first two days out on the ledge. But do you regret not spending any time shallow near where you were fishing? No, not at all. I mean, I I spent maybe an hour, hour and a half in practice fishing shallow one day. And I actually, the first day of the tournament, I started shallow because I was boat 78 or something at 82. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to get on any ledges. Or, or if you yeah. were, it wasn't going to be, be like you'd have time anyways. Yeah, right? like somebody's not going to be on them if they're not going to be on them. So I honestly, we got a big marina that we go out of with a big rock jetty on both sides that goes around. I idled through the two, the jetty wall and put down my troll motor and cranked the rip riprap on the jetty wall and caught a limit for like 10 pounds that first morning while everybody else was running. And then the next four hours, I never got a bite running on my because I was running on the lake. I'm like, hey, there's nobody on that one. And they run over there. I'm like, oh, it's because there's not a bass over here. And you run down. <laughs> there's somebody on that. They're on that. They're on that. And you're like, oh, there's nobody on that one. Oh, there's not a single bass over here. So I, I ran all the way down to the bottom end of the lake and maybe checked two spots, didn't get a bite, and then started running my way back up. And in the afternoon, like I said, I knew it was going to get better. So I wanted to get back up there by like 11. So at like 11.30, I started working my way up. I started seeing fish, and I called everything out and caught that 17 and a half all in the last like two and a half hours. But so when you, so were you stopping on these spots and fishing them, or were you idling them before you would fish them when you were saying you, there weren't any fish on them? No, I was just idling them. If I didn't see fish, I didn't. Okay. I didn't but I wasn't driving straight over the top of them. In practice, right. you just went straight over the top of them because it's easier to see how big they are and everything on your down scan. Uh, tournament days, I'll just – use a size can and kind of like I know where they're going to be so I just kind of drive off to the side so as to like try not to spook them too bad but still see if they're there and if they're there they'll show up on your size can so essentially that's what I did tournament day I just like drive down the side and be like oh they're over there and then whip around but yeah I think that's kind of a key thing and I think a lot of guys don't necessarily do that like they they did I mean they're they're perfectly comfortable idling and graphing and practice but in the tournament, they feel like they just got to fish those dots. Like they're not willing to like check 
right? And they're just wondering, oh, why are they not biting here? Why are they not, bite? you know what I mean? Like versus like, you know, not necessarily driving over the top, but scanning them and at least say, did they move? Are they there? Are they on top? Are they suspended? Are they, you know what I mean? Like you can learn a lot about uh, what you're going to do when you get there by making that little side scan, I think. Yeah, and it's common for them to move 100 yards, 200 yards, or you having to completely refine them because like you'll have a good school that just disappears for you for whatever reason. And I spent maybe 20 minutes idling random stuff trying to find a school that I lost or that had moved. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's something you got to do because you trying to relocate your schools, not necessarily fishing and not getting bites. Yeah. It's been, no, yeah, it was mostly me. I ran all the way to the dam every day and all the way back. Yeah. Because I had school all the way down. Yeah, now it's amazing. The notification went out and people are coming in. So that's good. We'll get more questions now. So lesson learned. Last week, I forgot to turn on the monetization. So if anybody wanted to do a super chat, they couldn't. This week, I forgot to publish it. So it's all uh, part of the learning curve. Sycamore wants the the, uh, the, the on the schedule, which one are you most looking forward to fishing in the hot summer weather? I think you kind of said Cayuga. Is that? I think Cayuga probably, although I haven't been there. I've been to Champlain and had success there, and I've been to Thousand Islands for Costa. But for that event, I fished to the lake the whole time. So it's still going to be pretty new to me. But I think Cayuga sets up best. I'm looking forward to it most. Partially because of that and partially because we get to go fishing again. And yeah. it's just like, and, you're, and the, you're in a kind of unique spot, right? I mean, like you had a pretty bad tournament and then you had a good tournament. And right now you're basically right on the bubble, right? For the classic. So I got like, you really want to make a push in the next three to four tournaments, right? Uh, right? Assuming we do go to New York and you fish those three and go to St. Clair, like you'd like to move up and get in, you know, the top 20 at least, right? Mm-hmm. And then on to that that dreaded fall Southern schedule. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Chickamauga yes. and Santee Cooper in October. I mean, Chickamauga, it's, it's kind of straightforward. It's just going to be yeah. a tough tournament because Tennessee river in the fall always is, but Santee Cooper in October, I mean, you don't even hear about it, but it sounds like right. it could be brutal. Like, yeah. I, mean, I think, I mean, you know, like if you did okay on Hamilton in August, <laughs> you probably can catch a good fish on Chickamauga, right? Like um, it's not going to be an easy tournament, but I think you definitely have the skill set to hang there. Uh, Sandy Cooper, I think you, you, you nailed. Like there's not much to go on. Like you don't even like there's not much research you can do. Um, and then I think Lake Fork is just good enough. People are going to catch them, so I think that'll be a cool tournament. But yeah, I'll worry about that one when I get to it. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really started thinking about it. I was excited for it on the schedule when it was in June because I thought I could do the whole ledge thing. I'd just idle all the time and we're going to throw a big crankbait and stuff and catch them like I did at Ufala. But I don't know what what to expect for November. It's something I'll probably look into. There's so much so much information on Lake Fork just from everybody being there and it being so. Every guide has a channel. Then you should be able to get an idea of what they like to eat or how they act late right. in the, or early in the fall, I guess. 
So Eminem outdoors says, you ever fish the Chisago area? You ever go up and fish like the, the Frankie's tournaments, right? That kind of stuff up there. I fished it one year with Willie Papa. It was like the first tournament we ever fished together, the Frankie's deal. And I mean, we didn't do that well. It was one of those deals everybody. Austin, like really young Austin. Like <laughs> it was mid twenties. Nice. Like that. But other than that, on the north side of the cities, like northern suburbs, Fridley, Columbia Heights area. And I used to fish up those areas all the time. I just don't go up there very often anymore. But mm. it's good, good great area to live and good place to fish. Uh Connor wants to know what would you recommend if you only had six rods casting and spinning? How what kind of setups would you recommend? Like range length, like did you go three and three, four, two, like I do you need two spinning poles and I'd do two spinning poles and four bait casters. Uh one medium to medium light, like seven footer that you can throw a drop shot, throw a wacky rig, throw a Nico rig on, and then something a little longer, a little heavier that you can drag stuff with, throw tubes, throw shaky heads, that kind of thing. And then for uh, bait casters, you need one braid flipping stick. Something you can throw, um, you throw a frog, just kind of a heavy braid rod, right? Yeah, like a seven and a half foot braid rod, something you can throw everything on. You need like a fluorocarbon flipping rod slash football jig rod slash Carolina rig, something that's like just like a seven and a half heavy, it, a little bit different. Same yeah. size, but less backbone sort of deal. Yeah. And then a reaction bait rod of some kind, right? Something that's got yeah, the crank bait, jerk bait, something, or, like, something graphite, graphite rod, something you can throw crank baits on and reaction baits. Yeah. And then the last one, uh, probably just like a you either double up on one of those things you really like, right? Like uh, I think you have to have like a seven one medium heavy, and then like a seven one to like seven four crank and or probably like a seven yeah seven one crank and pull. Something you could throw top waters on. Something you could throw crank big crank bait, smaller crank bait. So like seven foot medium heavy workhorse rod where like you could throw a big spinner bait on it. Mm-hmm. You, a tube on it like you could do all, it's probably not perfect for any of them but it would do all of them in a pinch right <laughs> yeah yeah sorry guys the notifications that that was my fault so uh so kenny wants to know what happened day two on oneida last year with your elite birth on the line <laughs> uh i didn't catch him very well i was Fishing offshore, if you guys know what the lake looks like, Shackleton Shoal is like dead center in the middle of Oneida. And it's a series of several hundred humps. Like they're everywhere. And I was fishing, on, throwing a crankbait, dragging Ned Rig, that kind of normal stuff. Well, the night after day one, we got a really hard east wind all night. And that lake is notorious for, like, like I figure when that whole saying, wind from the east, fish bites the least, I'm, I'd be surprised if it didn't come from Oneida because all the fish are essentially on the west side of that lake, and the main basin is cold and deep. Sure. And 
blows really hard. It blows really cold water all the way across all that stuff. Huh. And it just, it pushed the majority of the fish either off them or they just stopped biting completely. I wasn't seeing them, wasn't getting bites. And essentially that's what it came down to. I had my buddy Destin Demarion, who also qualified. He got, he was smart. I want to say he got lucky, but he was smart. He had a couple more extra days of practice. He practiced all the way on the east side of the lake. I've never even been over there. And he ran all the way over there because he figured it was the only place that was going to be less affected by it and was able to catch one or two good ones. And I couldn't catch a good fish to save my life. I didn't even catch five. I jumped off the fifth one like four times. But it was, like, it was bad enough. Like you can understand it was bad enough for the weather that I think I weighed like eight or nine pounds that second day and still qualified and still cashed a check in that tournament. So it was it was just a weird deal and it was something I was afraid of, but I didn't think it was gonna be affected nearly as much. I'll be ready for it when we go back if we do though. So, yeah, we were talking this, I think, a little bit offline, but uh, Chad Eddings wants to know, is there any room for any champion tour events this year for you? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it, there wasn't originally, and I haven't looked back at it again since then. With the Elite Series and the extra schedule and the extra tournaments with the Opens and then trying to fish a couple Denny's with the old man, I just didn't really see the – the time I was gonna or I didn't think I was gonna have the time. Right. And then when everything got mixed up, I just haven't even looked back on it to see what if if it would fit or not. And then I also thought I assumed that they would be filled and I also assumed that they had a cutoff date, but Yeah, I think they have a cutoff date, but I don't think they're full from what I've heard. So when you I guess this question like when you think the uh when you'd go fish those champion sewer events, like how many days of practice would you put in on them? Not very many, just because like last year, last couple of years, I've essentially fished those to try to make the championship because it's the only thing we had to fish for a boat in the state. So it's like the biggest deal. So I was just trying to get enough points for the championship. So I was struggling I'd go fish the FLW tour event or something and then race back home and get up there and have like one practice. But you just run around like a chicken with your head cut off and get as many bites as you can. I'd shake off everything. I wouldn't set a hook in practice day because there's no reason to every single fish counts. So I want to catch every single one of them the day. And I, that's essentially how I was able to make the championship. I cashed a few checks and each year and I just run every waypoint where I got a bite and catch as many of them as I could. And once that was done, just start running around. I mean, not hard to believe that like a wacky Senko and a shaky head did 90% of my damage out there just because the speed you can catch them with it is so much better than most things. Yeah. So like when you, like the year you fished a, Pokegama, we both fished that one. How many days of practice did you put in for Pokegama? I think I had two and a half. And I found that smallmouth hole the first day, 
and it's a notorious it's a community hole it was before and is at this point and i was fortunate to get on it i assumed i wouldn't get on it but i did and did well and then basically ran docks the rest of the time i must have been right behind you <laughs> i feel like all the docks i fished i couldn't hardly get bit on i feel like you must have been just like <laughs> a horizon from me the entire tournament <laughs> no it was weird like you wouldn't get anything and then you catch like three off of one dock i did run into that a couple times where like yeah you would be like long stretches and then there would be multiples it was kind of a weird mm-hmm. thing uh so bill wants to know when are you heading east like assuming the schedule stays are you going to go out like a little bit early and start on oneida or are you just going to get there and go right into cayuga or yeah, no, practice starts July 11th, so I'll probably leave the house here on the 8th or the 9th. I don't, like, try to marathon it all the way out there. I'll drive halfway, get a hotel, and then drive the rest of the way. Get in there early enough in the day that I can make sure the rig's set up and ready to go in the morning. So you get in just so you're not rushed. You kind of get comfortable. So you take one day ahead of time and just get comfortable and then roll in. Like a half a day. Like, if I can get in there by, like, three o'clock the day before or something like that. So that's all you need. So ball in 20 wants to know, like he wants to know, how did you like Kiwi? <laughs> I mean, I thought it was great. Uh, it's a cool lake. It's at the time, it's something I'd never done before with the exception, the uh, driving down to like Table Rock in the early spring before our season opened, I'd never caught spotted bass before. So, but I knew they acted a lot like smallmouth. So, and it all worked out. I spent, I graphed all night the night before the tournament or whatever and marked a bunch of stuff and the hopes that it would work out. And our one day of practice, I think I pulled up to my first waypoint and pitched out there and caught like a two and a half pounder. And then we pulled the next one and my partner, Chris, catches like a two and a half pounder. And then he pulled up to the next one. And I'm like, it was just like every spot I had marked where I marked like a little piece of brush or like a school of fish or a little group of fish or whatever it was, like I got a bite off of. And I'm like, oh, well, this is cool. And just from looking at everything, I thought like 13, 14 pounds a day was really good. So I'm like, hey, well, I caught 11, 12 pounds dicking around in practice, like catch one and leave. And so I was like, okay, we're doing all right. And like everything worked perfectly because the majority of the field ran up the river for one reason or another. I think they all got excited about just the opportunity of big largemouth or like wanting to fish in the back of creeks. So that was kind of like, a, was it pre-spawn? Was it spring? Oh, yeah. It was real cold. Yeah, you're catching them out of like 30 feet, and we had the whole main lake to ourselves. Like I could run wherever I wanted, and everybody else was like bumping boats in the backs of pockets up the river, and our weights went up every day because of it. While everybody else was struggling harder and harder as the tournament went on. Yeah, and for you guys that join now, uh, you didn't know about it earlier because I didn't hit the publish button or make it public. So uh, you guys definitely want to watch the replay, and uh, we kind of break down the St. John's and you follow and a whole lot of that stuff. So uh, we cover a lot of good information. You guys want to go back and watch the replay. Or when I put the audio podcast out, you guys can listen to it at that. So Fish and Phil, can you give my channel a shout-out? We just did. You're welcome. Um, 
the Adam wants to know, is, is there anything, can we get a tour of the new boat? Is there anything you want to highlight on the boat? Anything? <laughs> uh, the new boat, I mean, from here, it's the 921 Elite. Uh, I'm being completely honest, I, I've always ran a 20-foot boat. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted, if I could have had the 920 Elite, I would have got that, but they weren't in production yet. I got the 921 just because I want a little bit extra speed. I was running a 920 EHX, which is an amazing riding boat. It's a, it's, it's a little bit slower than the Elite boat, but it's a softer ride. It's by far the best ride of any boat I've ever been mm-hmm. in for this big water goes. If you're fishing Malax or something a lot, that's like the boat you want, that PHX boat. Um, I don't know. What do you guys want to see? I got power poles this year, switched over to power pole from running talons the last few years. Uh, just everybody's told me a thing to have and resale. Everybody wants them. So I thought it was the best plan. Uh, I got that new power pole charger. That thing, if you guys haven't played with it yet, it, it honestly, it's really badass. Yeah, I just, I'm currently just running lead acid batteries for trolling motor batteries. And it's amazing how quickly it'll pump them back up or keeps them pumped up. Like I have yet to burn motor batteries, even on these 14 hour days where usually in previous years I was carrying a, a portable generator with me because I'd burn on my batteries by the time the day is over. But yeah, it's, it's unreal. Like it, I'm not going to say you don't need lithiums because obviously you're still not going to be able to stand on them on 90 if you're looking for beds or whatever. But it it makes a big difference. But if you're if you're like scanning, structuring, like fishing, like getting that main motor running at all, that's going to keep your batteries going a long time. Yeah, like and on you follow my batteries. All my batteries were charged in 30 minutes after plugging them in. But that's because I was idling for so long. I actually, but, I mean, that's still fat. Minn Kota has a, a onboard charger that runs off the DC charger that runs off your main motor, but it's a separate box. So I have the mm-hmm. DC that's on there. And then I got my onboard charger, right? And there are two different boxes. So what uh, power pole has done is integrated them. And I think they've added some smarter technology in there. And I think there's like a jump feature and like, like all the things you'd want back there are all in one box now to make a kind of a system, right? Yeah, and it'll move power between different different batteries to make sure you're all right. Uh, Brett Pruitt just installed his before you follow, and he was fishing shallow the whole day. And one of his batteries went dead on him, and he's like, well, what the hell? He went to the power pole, and he's like, apparently whoever installed it had it hooked up wrong. So they hooked it up directly. He went back out there, idled around for 45 minutes, and then went back to fishing. And it shifted enough power and everything around that he was—he felt like he had 36 volts again for the rest of the day. He was able to do his own thing. And that was without putting it on a charger. That was just it doing its thing and moving power around and whatnot. It was like, it impresses me. It, it's definitely a deal. And Pickamore says he'd rather fish points and structure deep than pressured shallows. Would it, would you, is that, you agree? Like what, is that your, I, I kind of feel like that's your preference, but. 
I mean, it really depends on the lake. Honestly, big tournament-wise, a lot of times the shallow structure is the unpressured stuff. I mean, you don't have to you have to look at John Cox and you realize like he has a ton of stuff all to himself because Chickamauga, everybody's already out deep. But and I think our industry and our tournament a group of tournament anglers as a whole has kind of shifted their focus deeper, more offshore so that the shallow water, the all shallow water angler is becoming a little bit more of a specialty than it used to be. Yeah. Maybe there is hope for me, Austin. Maybe I can still, still win some tournaments. You got to buy a tin boat. Yeah. (laughs) I got a 19 foot basket. It's practically a tin boat. What are you talking about? That's true, but you can't bang dents out of it. It's true. But I do agree. I think to some degree it's lake tournament slash region specific as far as like I do agree that there is definitely a shift where people like are enamored with the 360s, the live scopes, the live sites, the to a fault at times, it's almost mm-hmm. where it'll drive right past the most obvious thing in the lake. Um, for instance, I fished a tournament at Minnewaska last summer and I wrecked them under a little bridge that I saw somebody in a video on a champions tour fishing. <laughs> How many like 11 inches did you catch? <laughs> Honestly, uh, it, I caught like uh, 16, 17 pounds a day out of there. Wow. I caught some smallies out of there. When was this? That same culvert that you were catching all those dinks out there. Yeah, when? when did you do this? Last July. Oh, wow. Yeah, they get big enough rain in that lake back there that there was just a little more current coming out of there. And I think I also heard after the fact that they do a fair amount of like Wednesday nighters out of that bar. So I might've just caught it at the right time where there was some release fish hanging out there. Yeah. But it is super obvious, right? So like, that's the kind of thing everybody was out there fishing all this stuff. And like one of the most obvious things in the lake was ripe for the taking. So Um, yeah, that was my fault, Bill. I didn't have my notifications and my public set right, so glad you came over. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to Travis anyways. You can talk to Austin. There you go. <laughs> Travis. He's a good dude. Yeah, I liked He's pretty cool. Uh, I don't remember what his topic was tonight, honestly. Um, but... Uh, I'm sweating out here. I don't know if anybody's got any other questions. It's, I do have a Nadia's cupcake that my wife got me. It's called a Dorito. It's a Mountain Dew Dorito cupcake. I can't tell if it's either going to be the worst thing I ever put in my mouth or the most amazing thing. I'm not sure. Oh, she found it on like Pinterest or something. Oh, it's a Nadia's cupcake in Maple Grove there, like a specialty cupcake shop. Oh, she bought it for you. Actually, somebody else's wife bought it, but. She ordered it. But, uh, oh, so what else? So are you, are you, so ICAST is canceled. Are you uh, sad or happy about not having to go to ICAST? Uh, I've never been to ICAST before. I've never gone. Like this is the first year I've had real big enough sponsors. I've more or less done it out of pocket to 
every year on FLW. And once I moved over to the elites that I made a couple relationships with 13 fishing and Sightline and the guys at all terrain. So I was planning on being there for 13, but uh, I don't know. I kind of, I wanted to go at the same time. I hate going to those things because I'm the guy who gets sick every single time I ever go there, no matter how much hand sanitizer I use or anything. Like, anything happened at the classic, like I was bathing in the stuff essentially, and still end up, you get home and like four days later, you got a cold. So, like, you, you welcome the fist bump. You're, you're, you're ready to, to, to leave the, the handshake behind. No, I mean, I still did all the handshaking and stuff. And like I said, I just, you know, <laughs> it have like a wet, squishy hand because it's probably still had sand, hand sanitizer from the last time. But I don't know. I, I wanted to go there just to see what was up. I know a lot of people make a lot of connections. And, and then 13 out of Florida, right? Yep. Yeah, their home base is in Tampa. Although a lot of their people that originated are, are actually from Minnesota. So. But yeah, I don't know. I'm fifty fifty on it. I'd like to go there and make some more connections. But sure. so Trey and Holt says, uh, any secrets for fishing Lahamadu, Alexander Chen? You ever been up there? Do you got any advice? <laughs> I've duck hunted it more than I've fished it, <laughs> but uh, I haven't fished it hardly at all. I know that the grass is really good on there, and I think they actually catch them pretty decent, uh, flipping and stuff. Back when I used to go, there was like the Gander Mountain Pro Am days yeah. where it was pounding and pounding. Eleven pounds was a monster bag back then. Yeah, but I haven't been. I haven't fished a tournament up there in a few years, with the exception of the Classic Bass deal, in which you caught the same small seven times in a row. So I did. <laughs> Some people got upset about that, but yeah, I did catch in the afternoon period. There was. I ran to two different ones that were open way down in Geneva or whatever, and I knew where there was a three six and like a two eight, and I just went back and forth between the two and caught them each five times. And then you can't do that anymore now, unfortunately. Um, I guess while we're talking about that. What do you consider good grass? Like Seth's fighter grass? Like that kind of grass? Or what, what kind of grass are we talking about? Good grass? Uh, they don't really have it anymore on Minnetonka, unfortunately. Like I just like matted milfoil. Like if you can get that like red top milfoil, that's what used to be the deal. And you'd have acreage of it out there, but... That's what I think of. Other than that, good grass is just whatever the gra- grass the fish is in at this point. It's but. usually it's not always like to me. Not always finding good grass. It's finding the best grass, right? Like it doesn't have to be great grass. It just has to be better than the grass just down the way, right? Like yeah. Minnetonka like now, all the grass is coontail out to twenty-two feet or whatever. It drives me crazy, but. If I could fish any type of grass, it would be like seven to eleven foot topped out milfoil. Sure. 
Uh, Eric Tesmer says, what are your thoughts on spy baits? Uh, do you mix them in? Do you like them for smallies? Hate them? Leave them? Um, I haven't used them a lot here just because I don't think – I don't know. They probably work. I just don't think it's – it's more of a shad deal. Uh-huh. Uh, I've thrown it some. I've lost more fish on it than I've actually gotten the boat. It's, they're just really hard to keep buttoned. I've started – playing with them to try to figure out how to keep them on the hook. And I'm sure I'll throw it again a bunch in the next few weeks, but I haven't found the time yet where it outfishes either a hair jig or Kytec. Uh-huh. I don't throw it enough. And I probably would have done better on St. Clair last year, two years ago, two years ago, if I would have thrown it more because, Giants reading it, but I, I I don't have a lot of experience with it yet. I'm still there's trying to do that. I've heard many people say that like hooking fish is not the problem, landing fish is the problem with spy baits. Like there's something very particular about your setup that you need for that that uh, that setup. And I don't have the answer either. I've got like three fish on a spy bait. Um, you mentioned Kytex. I think it's pretty. You throw them a lot. Like that's no secret. Uh, Eric says, do you? Uh, do you like burning it, cover water with a heavier? Do you always fish it slow? Like, what are some of your, like, basic tips for somebody that maybe doesn't do a lot of Kytec? Or... Um, I mean, it's – I fish it however you have to. I've done everything. Put a chartreuse jig hut on it and reel it like a spinner bait early in the year on, like, Champlain. Mm-hmm. Yeah coming a long ways for it, but like Malax in the fall, I'll crawl the thing. It's about as slow as you possibly can do it. Like your rod tip will slowly load up as it hits a zebra muscle and just go dunk, and then it kind of just pops free. Uh, I fish it on a drop shot a ton. I fish it on a shaky head. It's kind of a piece that I don't really tell anybody, but I guess the viewers... Uh, one of my favorite ways to do it when you get to the Ozarks or whatever, they have all those cedar trees that are out really deep. Me and Willie did really good in that fall Bass Cat Owners Tournament. We went down there, and that's all we did. I used a shaky head because that way I can, like, worm it through the trees and stuff, and you swim it through it. And they've seen a million of them, but they don't see a Kytec swim, like, through the limbs. So sure. you swim it out there while everybody else was catching one bass. They'd see that thing and pop free, and you catch them really so you're kind of fishing it similar, but you're shaky head Texas rigging it, basically. So you and it's a steady retrieve though. It's it's still like throw it out there, let it sink, and then just steady retrieve it. So it's just kind of kicking up, and then it never gets to something. You just kind of got to like work it over because you'll feel it just like anything else. You feel it as it's coming up to those limbs. Mm-hmm. And then free fall when it comes off the limb, or. Oh, I mean, you kind of keep her taunt, and it's just kind of uh, yeah. going. Um, so, like in the fall, so I guess for you, is a Kytec always a spinning rod thing, or do you throw them on bait casters ever? Or? I throw it on a bait caster whenever I can, like a medium, like a seven and a half foot medium or medium light bait caster, 12 pound test, six to one ratio reel. That's essentially all I have. That's what I'll have rigged up when I go. Do you throw mostly on straight fluoro on bait casters, or are you doing braid to fluoro, or what? Yeah. Straight? 
No, I do all fluorocarbon when I'm doing that. Uh, what? What? Uh, what's your? What's that? What's your? What's your preferred line size? For straight fluorocarbon? Yeah. Uh, just twelve pound. That's what I throw it on. It's it's right. tough. Twelve pound Seaguar and Visex is what I use. So if you're using like gamma or something, it'd probably be like eight pound test, but um yeah, it's tough enough that it doesn't get nicked up and we're gonna break off every, on every zebra muscle, but and just for, fluorocarbon in general doesn't seem to get snagged nearly as much as braid does for some reason there's a bit of a bounce to it or a little bit of a like a give to it so it doesn't just like jab into things it'll kind of let it <laughs> where's the yeah so what, what what's your typical weight then when you're fishing kayaks like do you have a go-to size um when i'm doing that like deep thing i run a three eighths okay and, all terrain. I just throw that all terrain smallie smasher jig in a three eighths, and uh, that's like ninety percent of what I use. And then I'll go down to a quarter or whatever if I'm fishing shallower or lighter, smaller bait. Usually I throw like a three point eight. I'm lax, but when you go down south, it seems like three point three works better. New York three point three seems to work better, but. Are you talking about the fats mostly? Fat yeah. That's my go-to. Not much of like an easy shine kind of stuff? or No, I don't throw that very often at all. Okay. But something you have confidence in. I've been throwing it for so long that it's just like what I like to use. Sure. Is it, so the same thing on a drop shot? You're throwing the fat, not like the swing or the or – the... uh-uh. No, yeah, like on St. Clair – Two years ago for the tour event, I caught a bunch of them drop shot in the 2.8 fat. So almost all fat of how you're rigging it. Yeah. Cool. Rig it every different way, catch them all year on it. I've caught more bat, or I've won more money on a Kytec than I think just about everything else. But Do you, do you flip shot it on Taka or anything? I haven't. Probably the one leg I don't throw it, which is kind of weird. I catch them in the spring on it, I guess I should say. You like you can belly weight in the spring and the when they've seen a million chatter baits and swim jigs and stuff. Start throwing that around and you'll get a lot more bites. Cool. So like what are your new big sponsors this year? Sightline. Like what are they mostly an apparel company or what I don't know. Like I think they're kind of new and maybe not a lot of people know about them. Maybe tell us a little bit about Sightline. Yeah, actually. Uh a buddy of mine, his name's Tom. I met him a year or two ago at Sturgeon Bay. Sightline does a bunch of work with Sturgeon Bay. They help run it. They help sponsor it and all that kind of thing. Uh, he's from Chicago. He's got a construction company, and they started, like, a fishing apparel company. And he wanted to get more involved in it. And we'd been chatting for a while, and he thought it was a good way to maybe get the name out there some with a more local angler at the same time, get a bunch of publicity for it. So we worked together to help wrap my boat and do all that stuff. And it's, it's a, it's a very new company. They're just coming out. They're supposed to come out with a bunch of new shirts, hats, 
fun shirts, stuff like that. But they're really high quality stuff. Like the shirt I'm wearing right now, it's, it's like the top of the shirt I own, and and they're really like you guys definitely should check it out. It's it's a local guy, and he helps out Surgeon Bay. He sponsors a lot of the stuff uh-huh. over in that Wisconsin Illinois area, but. So is it mo- mainly available on their site, or are there other places to get it, or is it basically through their website? Or yeah, it's through their website right now. And obviously, with COVID and everything, that got as messed up as everything else did. So, but he told I talked to him just the other day. He said they should have a whole bunch of new hats and shirts and stuff coming out here in the next few days. But so, if you want to look like Austin. Hmm. Line Outdoors website. Yeah, like they carry a lightweight, a hooded sun shirt, and I, I I only wear hooded sun shirts at this point. They just work so much better for me than wearing buffs and stuff. And for sight fishing, you can block everything out, and theirs has a little front pocket like a normal sweatshirt would have. So I mean, it's got everything you'd want in a sun shirt, and it's kind of the deal. I 100% agree. Like in the last two years, I've went to the uh, the hoodie and uh, the thing I use my buff now is when I have to go into a store that requires a mask. <laughs> like hold up the Sightline site here so you guys can check it out. It's just sightlineoutdoors.com. Um, I don't know who this guy is with the small mouth. But, uh, but yeah, I think what we're talking about is like, so these. That lightweight one, that's the deal. I actually, I own three of those things and it's like the most comfortable shirt on the planet. It looks like they're on sale right now. Yeah. I think they're moving some stuff out because they're about to get a bunch of new stuff, but. There you guys go. If you're just going to get one, that's probably the shirt I get. Yeah, that's pretty much all I do. Like that's to me the that uh, covers you up and the like covers your face and your side, and you get more like side glass and like so. Like, that one, that one is their lightweight performance hoodie. It's not a normal sun shirt. Like your normal sun shirt is like one layer of that really thin like polyester. This is like a double layer thickness, okay. but it's still the same sort of material. So it's definitely heavier than that stuff, but it's it's still going to be lighter weight than any sweatshirt. It's like like a typical t-shirt would be, but it, it's definitely a little heavier duty. And yeah, I like I said, I have three of them, and I essentially wear them every day. Yeah, you need a range though, right? Like you need like the thin one when it's really hot. You need this one thing, or like so, like but yeah, like to me, I only wear hoodies when I'm fishing, pretty much because that's just more comfortable, I think. Yeah. Uh, Bill wants to know, what's your hook set up for drop shotting a kite there? Uh, it really depends on what I'm doing. I'll either run uh, the robo worm hook, the, like straight shank rebarb hook, or, and that's what I think a one-knot, or I'll run... If I'm just nose hooking it, I'll run a one-knot Gamagatsu Aaron Martin's drop shot, split shot hook. But 
those are basically the only two hooks I drop shot with. And then I'll up to, the, if I'm throwing like a six inch robo worm or something, I'll up to a two lot rebar. So when you're around cover, right? With the rebarb or the, the cover shot type hook. Mm -hmm. Do you just nose hook it with the other one? Or are you threading it on the hook? Like what is your method? No, if, I, if I'm using the Aaron Martins, I'm just nose hooking it. But, and are you typically is that more for dragging, dropping on them? Like, uh, when I nose hook it, I just I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like that smaller hook is just it doesn't affect them nearly as much with that little Aaron Martin's hook as having a bigger hook in it. So for smallmouth, like on sand. Like on Thousand Islands, I'm going to throw the Aaron Martin's hook. Sure. I don't think there's much of a hookup ratio difference. It's just. Can you always throw a Kitech, or is there a situation you throw the Kitech? Like, like if you were dropping on it, would you throw a Kitech versus more like drag in a drop shot or like a certain forage or situation? Like, if you ever throw like Robowars or like what, when and why a Kitech, I guess, for a drop shot? I mean, it's just a confidence bait for me when everybody else is drop shotting, whatever. Uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> drop shot like uh, uh, Ned or uh, in uh, dream shots, like <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. It's just something a lot of people don't throw. I feel like wherever I'm throwing it or dropping it, they're not going to have seen it really before. At least that's the way. And it's not not something I always throw anyways. Like the nice thing about a drop shot is it's really easy to switch baits. Right. So and I'll have a couple different colors sitting on the ground and just like put one on and throw it out there and put something else on and throw it out there. Like it's not something I'm I'm locked into if if it doesn't work, it's just I have confidence with it, and it's always seemed to work for me. So uh, it kind of has its own action that a lot of baits don't because not many drop shot baits have a paddle tail to them. Right. So you can you can cast it and reel it and get action out of it without having to shake your rod tip. It gives it its own action if you're in current. Like you can hold it there, and that's going to kick itself when it's sitting there in current. It just—I don't know. I like throwing it, and it seems to work, so I throw it a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, so I mean, like, even like, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of times a lot of people throw it up here in Minnesota. Like, it's fairly popular to throw both largies and smallies. Do you feel that it's equally as good, like dragging on ledges and rush piles and stuff down south, where it's a little dirtier? Um. It's more of a when I'm drop shotting it, it's more of a smallmouth thing. Except when I'm bed fishing. Okay. And essentially if I'm bed fishing with it, it's like break class in case of emergency. Like I'm not gonna throw that on a bed until I absolutely have to. But there are times where you know, I've watched four or five pound largemouth react to like a 3.3 Kitech on a drop shot. Like they've never seen it before after I've been beating them over the head with everything else I can think of. 
Mm-hmm. But you have a little baby like perch colored tube, which is pretty similar. Like the amazing, like you could just throw everything at him and then you throw that little bait fish imitator and it's just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So more serious question. Do you ever wish Willie could be like your caddy on tour and, and like be at your side? No. If you could be too much of a distraction? Oh, I don't know if I can count on it. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like like you kind of have like, you know, those old like TV things where you got like the angel on one side and the devil on the other and Willie's like the devil on your shoulder? Like, I mean, <laughs> he's really, really good at getting into trouble. But at the same time, I've never met anybody he will be the first person awake every morning and like ready to go no matter what happened the night before or how much he drank or how much the rest of us drank or didn't like he's just he's, it's his superpower like <laughs> yeah, he knows how to like get everybody to have a good time and let loose but at the same time when it's time to work he like he'll be the first one out of bed and like when we were still fishing at NABC, he would have a really good time. And then I'd set my alarm for like six the next morning and he'd be up at four 30 at the end of the bed, like getting all of his work done, he'd be ready to go. He's awesome. <laughs> I heard he's he, in his older age. He doesn't sleep in his boat as much as he used to. So I don't know. Like, I haven't got, I haven't fished a tournament with him in like two or two years now. Because we traveled together for the the Champions Tour, but obviously we're fishing against each other. And we were going to fish Durgeon Bay, but that obviously got canceled this year. So I don't know. I need to spend more time with Willie in the boat. It's good karma to have Willie in the ball, right? <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. Well, I feel like we covered a lot of ground. In case anybody else has got any other questions, but I think this has been pretty cool. Um, next time, if we ever do this again, I'll make sure to hit the publish button right away so we get more viewers to start and we'll have a little bigger numbers. But um, anything else you want to cover or anything else? Uh, I mean, Anything cool coming out from 13 or anything like that for ICAST or anybody else you work with? They got a bunch of cool new little baits that they've been publishing the last few days. Like, I don't know if you've seen their Jabber Jaw Square Bill. It's got a metal lip on it and it's got like, but it's kind of free floating and it's got metal cheeks and they yanked all the rattles out of it. So essentially it makes the same sound as a chatterbait and it goes through the water because it bangs against the side. Uh, have you, you fished those? Did you get any prototypes? Or? Well, uh, yeah, I got one right here. But stuck to everything. But I don't know. You can, I don't know if you can hear it or not. But people can see, like, to the camera, they can see that that bl- the, the, yeah. metal lip and it actually pivots, right? Yeah, and it just, there's two little cheeks on each side. And it just bangs into the side, similar way a chatterbait blade bangs into the head of it. So yeah. I know six cents has access coming out that's pretty similar to that. I don't know who's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw a bunch of them people yeah, back and forth on that, but they look six cents, I guess. 
So like uh, the patent for that has been out for like 60 or 70 years or something. Yeah. They're for like, at least for the sweet free swinging bill to, about it has been out for ages from what I understand long enough that it's come and gone. And now you can, anybody right. can use it. And so like, the big difference is the fact that they put those metal cheeks in there kind of yeah. to give it that bang and got rid of the rattles and, I don't know. I'm excited to play with it some more. I played with it a little bit. The one bad thing about a chatterbait is it doesn't come through wood very good. So I'm excited to like wind that thing around some wood. Yeah, I've heard that it's not like a little bit different than like a regular square bell. Like if you try to burn this thing, like it blows out pretty easy. Like this is more of a I don't know. That, I don't know if that's that style bait. I've heard isn't like you can't just like grind on it like super hard. Mm -hmm. Like kind of have to find that sweet spot of the retrieve so that it, cause it, cause it does sound like it will hunt a fair amount and do some kind of cool water. So. Yeah. And you have to be careful with it because that metal blade can bend some with, so like boat flipping fish and stuff, you got to make sure it stays straight. Sure. Well, if you don't want to do that. I mean, you can bend it. If you want to bend it, you can bend it down more and it will run shallower and you can do whatever you want to kind of play with it a little bit, but. Other tool. That might be. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. Chickamauga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm playing with a. I'm still playing with a lot of 13 baits and like their deep crank baits. Their jerk baits are fantastic. Like I went out this spring and with Andy Young just fun fishing and threw that all day just to get confidence with it. And he was throwing one and it was there wasn't any difference. Like we both caught the same number of fish. It wasn't like you were getting out fish. Like it's just. He likes that duo jerk bait, doesn't he, Andy? Yeah, he likes that one too. Yep. And their frogs are really good. They got a four out hook in their frog as opposed to a three out, so you don't have to up. But I don't know if you guys have played with those things or not, but I've caught a bunch of fish on this already. It's got some tinsel in it. And uh, it's, it's called the trash panda. Is that what that one is? Yeah. They're popping frog. I like even better than the regular one, I or I've used it more. I haven't been in any real matted situations where I feel like I needed that one yet, but that's about it. I don't know what else. Yeah, that's cool. I guess there's one more question from Sycamore. It says, if you catch nothing but 12 to 18 inch bass and can't get past them to the bigger bass, what would you do? Sounds like he was catching big ones in spring and now he's not really catching the big ones anymore. I think I don't remember where he's from, but I feel like he's Indiana, Illinois, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's typical anywhere, any time of the year. Like, your biggest bass when you caught in the spring and the fall, and what makes those really big fish tricky is they tend to be loners. So the one time they kind of group up where you're catching multiple big fish like that is in the spring when they're all pushed up into gallows or in areas where they're, they're going to have to congregate and you can pick them off. But um, I don't know, throw bigger baits and kind of uh, have a great idea. Of how you catch. Yeah, I think, I think we're on something though is like in the spring, those fish will bunch up and he says it is Indiana. I think mm -hmm. uh, so summertime, I think that you need to fish more isolated fish if you're going to catch the big ones, whether that means 
going shallow and finding like isolated docks on the back of a pocket or a long stretch or big laydowns with not much allowing it, or get out deep, maybe in those areas you're catching them schooled on points. Go out and look. Is there a boulder? Is there a lone stump, a lone like something that's off that a big fish could occupy by themselves? And you're going to be maybe hunting and pecking around and maybe not catching as many, but that probably is the better way to catch the bigger bass. The other thing I would say is try fishing more super early morning or right before dark. Like, and you get down south farther, bigger fish bite way, way better first thing or in low light conditions, like, or even after dark. Right. And you can go, like, you watch, I'm sure most of them watch the super tournament on Chickamauga. Um, when I was there at the open last year, the same sort of thing. I caught 15 pounds a day and made it, made the top 12 or whatever in the open. But the last hour and a half before dark each day of practice, like if there had been night tournaments for that, it would have been a total different deal. I caught 24 pounds every evening, like no matter what, like you find a school and there's big ones in every school on Chickamauga, but the big ones, the combination of them pulling current, but the big ones just like right there in the evening, they just decided to bite. So you go all day catching the two to three pounders and then last hour and a half, all of a sudden it'd be like four, five and a half, six and a half, five and a half. And it's something you got to play with, but it sounds like four to five, multiple four to five pounders. You're not doing bad anyways. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, it's like a bite window thing. Like they're going to, they're like, like you have those feeding areas, right? And then them bigger fish in the summer are only going to be there for a short window and they're going to get it done in, in a much smaller amount of time than some of those other fish. I think so. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it seems like things are winding up. I appreciate it. Austin. Thanks for being the, one of the first tour level anglers to join my stream. Uh, I had a good time. Uh, hopefully we'll see you on the water sometime and uh, we'll meet again and I'll get you one of these times in these uh, local derbs. Sounds good. We'll make it work. Hopefully you can go fish New York and maybe we can chat afterwards or something. Okay, yeah, why don't you go and like win one and then we'll, we'll really uh, we'll talk about it in depth. There you go. All right. Well, thanks, Austin. Good luck. Hopefully that northern swing happens and you're not stuck fishing down south in uh, the middle of August. So. All right. We'll talk to you. All right. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.